What's going on, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode number 53 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Rizzotto, and today we are joined by a very special guest. He covers the Giants for the Bay Area News Group. Uh, and let me tell you, his game stories are literally published like 7.34 seconds after the final out is recorded. It's Kerry Crowley. I don't know how he does it. Kerry Crowley's with us. Kerry, how you doing? Excellent, Stephen. I appreciate the shout out for that because it is the most difficult aspect element, whatever you want to call it, of this great job that I have as a beat writer. So I appreciate you saying that because it really is a labor of love and Game stories don't get read as much as the other stories, and I kind of think they're a lost art these days, but that's neither here nor there. Really happy to be with you, and I appreciate you having me. Yeah, and if, if you guys want some more information on that, I request you put 100 bucks into your future <laughs> in sports writing like I did, uh, and you'll you'll get that knowledge firsthand. So, Kerry, uh, super glad you're here. Uh, so, opening week, what are some of the themes that you, know, you think of? I'll start, you know, because – when I think of this time of year, I always think of fantasy drafts. I have one with high school team, with my uncles, with other friends, people on Twitter. Um, that's what I think of when I think of opening week. What is What are some of the things that come to your mind? Uh, I always think about, at least growing up, this is how I thought of it, was the chaos of the early season stats. And, and this is kind of a segue into fantasy baseball because there would always be the guy who would hit two home runs on opening day or the pitcher who would go seven shutout innings or you know the teams that would start 0-5, the teams that would start 5-0. and And I always like these statistical anomalies that come from the first week of the season. I think that stats are really one of the reasons that I got into baseball. One of the reasons that I fell in love with it was just you know, memorizing the, the Giants batting averages on the 2001 team as a seven-year-old and being able to like recite those to my parents' friends and then think that I was some sort of savant. But really, it was just in the newspaper every day. And so that's when you're seeing it and it's changing a little bit, uh, you're keeping tabs on it. But yeah, I think that opening week is all about fun. It's all about excitement. And for me now as, as a baseball writer, I'm just so happy that spring training is over. The entire offseason, I look so forward to spring training. I think it's the greatest thing in the world. Then they get there and wait for them to play a game. Then they play a game and I'm like, I can't wait for things to go to the point where you're seeing starters for seven innings. And then I'm like, okay, start the season. Let's get this going. I'm ready for opening day. And so the excitement is definitely palpable. So what year is this for you on the beat? This will be my fifth season on the beat. So started back in 2017, a few weeks into the season. And yeah, ever since I joined the beat, the Giants have been a losing baseball team. So a lot of people can point to me and say, it all went downhill uh, with that guy. Yeah, no, it's completely your fault. No. Um, <laughs> so you spent some time in Scottsdale this spring. How much has the pandemic affected the media's usual access that they get during spring training in the Cactus League? Well, I would just say it's a completely different job right now than it is when there is no pandemic going on. And that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. I know a lot of writers really hated the Zoom era and they're ready to get back in the clubhouse. Look, I can't wait to get back in the clubhouse to tell different stories and to, to you know, figure out ways to tell all the stories that I've wanted to talk to, you know, nine or 10 players for. But I've also just come to accept that's not reality right now. We're really lucky to be able to go and do our jobs every day. I'm really lucky that a newspaper sent me to Scottsdale to report there. And so I just think that having that perspective is really important because this has changed everyone's lives, everyone's jobs in so many different ways. And 
you know, the fact that there is still baseball games going on, the fact that we're about to get a 162 game season, at least it looks that way. I think it's just incredible. So I'm really, really grateful that the season's about to start and I'll adapt any way someone asks me to. And I think that it's important to, to recognize that, you know, one day we will go back to normal. One day we will have the opportunity to interview people until they're sick of us. And honestly, they're probably sick of Zoom too. So you just have to keep that, uh, keep that in mind every day. Yeah, very soon we're going to get some more Kerry Crowley articles about <laughs> which Giants player is going to be the next broadcaster. Yeah, that was a great My one. favorite article. It's my favorite one. I was thinking about that literally this morning when I went for a run on Ocean Beach. I was thinking about that story, how I can't wait to do more stuff like that. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So aside from the pandemic, what kind of stands out as a common trend around this Giants team as they break camp for 2021, obviously? It seems like a game away. Uh, away from the postseason last year with the expanded format. I know a lot of people could point to the bullpen, you know, that series in Oakland. Uh, there's a lot of things that went right for the Giants. They hit well. I think they had like the fifth or sixth best OPS in the game, um, which was a surprise for a lot of people considering where they were record-wise. So what is kind of the common trend for this team as they break camp for 2021? I would say the thing that I point to is when was the last time that the Giants went into the season where the offense was expected to be the strength of the team? I, I really can't think in the last decade where you were like, hey, let's get fired up over this Giants offense. It's going to mash the ball and get on base and you know have a high OPS. They came out of nowhere last season and did all of that. And I think that it's pretty remarkable that you look at this lineup and you realize there aren't really any stars in this lineup per se, relative to the rest of baseball. It's just a really solid group. You know, if Buster Posey's hitting sixth, Brandon Crawford's hitting seventh, and Mauricio Dubon's hitting eighth, that's a good lineup. And the pitching staff, of course, huge question marks in the rotation. The bullpen, I don't think their opening day bullpen is as solid as the bullpen will be during the second half of the season. I think there's a number of promising young arms who will come up and impact this staff who just need more time in the minor leagues. But I, I do think that, you know, when you want to frame this giant season at the outset, you have to think when was the last time the offense was the giants calling card. And really probably back to the Barry Bonds era. Yeah. You'd probably have to go that far for sure. <laughs> so has there, has there ever been a flip-flop? And I was thinking about this this morning. Has there ever been a flip-flop in terms of, you know, flip-flopping a fan base's stance on a particular personality as there's been with Gabe Kapler. I mean, when he was first hired, everybody wanted his head and, you know, they pointed back to the situation in LA, which he even said that he could have probably handled differently. And now I think, you know, based off, you know, a different style of baseball that looked like it had some promise, there was uh, complete transparency with the way he handled the pandemic, uh, the social justice uh, events during the summer, ended up having his team on the national spotlight. Um, so uh, this, this is a guy that really has changed his view or changed the fan base's view um, of him. And honestly, I think the last, uh, I thought about this, I was like, who is the last person to make this kind of change? Barry Zito, maybe. I mean, you know, in, in terms of his postseason performance <laughs> in 2012. So what happened to make Gabe Kapler all of a sudden a hero in San Francisco? Well, I will say this, Stephen, give it two blown saves in the 2021 season. 
once again, fans will be upset, furious, whatever you want to call it. They'll be coming for Gabe Kapler if that happens. And I think that that's just the nature of the beast with managers. I do really believe that he did about as good of a job as you could with uh, all of the circumstances surrounding the 2020 season, whether it would be the active roster management, the active game management that was required of him, having a really inexperienced bullpen and having the second best bullpen ERA in the major leagues, you know, the second half of the season, getting the offense to buy into the coaching staffs, uh, coaching points, really tremendous stuff. Uh, if you consider all that he faced and, and the limited you know, times that players had at the park because of the pandemic, I thought the Giants took a huge step forward, but at the same time, Bullpen management is the name of the game. And I will tell you that 90% of baseball fans hate their manager and 90% of baseball fans hate every reliever on their pitching staff. And I can easily foresee a scenario where that happens again in San Francisco. And honestly, it could even happen if Gabe Kapler is doing a pretty good job and the bullpen is a top 10, top 15 bullpen. That's just the reality of perspective. I like to remind fans, every reliever has an ERA. You just have to accept that. No one is going to have a 0.00 at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. And I think relievers, ERAs, the the real hardcore fans know that, you know, it, it only takes one bad outing at Coors Field in Colorado to really screw with your ERA. So I, I think <laughs> I think they're smarter, you know, or at least a lot of them are smarter to understand that. So realistically speaking, for this team to compete for a postseason spot, they'll have to need reliable innings out of the rotation. And I know the rest of baseball is trying to figure out how they're going to make something of a situation last year where, you know, guys only threw 50, 65 innings. And I think Garrett Cole had like 90. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of innings to make up. So how have the giants kind of built this starting rotation in order to do that? It's all been built on projection and, and all been built on kind of hunches, I would say. Uh, I think that you look at this rotation, Kevin Gossman is, is even a bit of a question mark in himself, even coming off a fantastic 2020 season when he had a 3.62 ERA and really pitched better than the numbers would indicate. 79 strikeouts and 59 and two-thirds innings. He was ace-like at times during you know the 2020 season. But behind him, you've got Johnny Cueto, who's in the final year of his deal, the Giants' really don't know how to project what he will look like from Tommy John surgery. They're hoping that he comes back. Uh, and then, you know, you've got uh, Anthony DiSclefani, Logan Webb, and Aaron Sanchez behind him. Alex Wood could potentially be in the mix as well. And so you're talking about a pitching staff with a bunch of guys on one-year deals who several are coming off injuries, a few are coming off poor performances, and you're just hoping and praying that the pitching staff takes the same type of step forward that the offense did in 2020 that you know the coaching step uh coaching points that brian bannister and andrew bailey can offer the giants uh, and their pitchers will end up working for this team the way that the coaching points that donnie ecker dustin lynn and justin veely offered the hitting uh the position players uh last year did end up working for them logan webb you mentioned is a name that i think a lot of fans could get behind finished you know, off an incredible cactus league um, just the other day. And I think his final line, I'm looking at it now, 17 innings, seven hits, an earned run, an ERA of that equals an ERA of 0 0.53, only walked two hitters and struck out 22. And I think the changeup, and I, I know you wrote, you've written about this before, the changeup is just absurdly great. I mean, I'm picturing Corey Seager swinging through it now. I mean, that's the effect that it has on both righties and lefties. So 
what kind of you know role will Logan Webb play? Are they going to kind of monitor his innings? I'm sure they're going to monitor everybody's innings, as I mentioned before. But what kind of role is he having down the uh, down the road here for the Giants? I mean, I, I'm really excited to watch Logan Webb pitch, and, and it's not just because if you know a few years ago, a lot of people in the Giants organization thought he was a top 100 prospect and was going to break the drought of you know not having any good homegrown pitchers since the Linscombe came and Bumgarner era, but I'm excited to watch him pitch based on the swings that I saw opposing hitters take during spring training. I mean, these were bad whiffs at his changeup. Kurt Casale said the changeup was reminiscent of the one that Luis Castillo throws for the Cincinnati Reds. And Luis Castillo, when you talk changeups right now in the game, the conversation starts with him. And so Mm -hmm. if Logan Webb has that type of movement, if he has that type of late downward action with the changeup and it looks like a fastball, you know, 75% of the way to the plate, be a really devastating pitch for him. And so I, I am curious what happens when he faces adversity because he didn't face that during spring training. You know, he didn't have an outing where he didn't have great stuff. And so what's it going to look like when the Dodgers or the Padres get him in the stretch? What's it going to look like when he gives up a two run home run in the first inning? I, I want to see how he bounces back. And if he looks any different in those actions than he did in 2020, because if he does, then you're talking about a front to middle of the rotation starter. If he doesn't, then you're talking about a number five, potentially a long reliever who you really need to have clean innings for. A hundred percent. So to the lineup now, this is a roster built on platoons. We know this. I think it's going to be one of the most platoonic, if you will. I don't know if that's the right word. I, that's probably not the right word, but it just sounded right in this situation. Exactly. Um, but platoonic, we'll roll with that. Um and the only players that we're going to see a lot of against against both right-handers and left-handed pitchers are Yastrzemski and Posey, maybe Longoria, even though, you know, the addition of Tommy Lastella could shake that up a little bit. I was thinking about this because I, I made kind of a mock infield and against lefties, you know, you have Flores at first, Lastella second. I guess you have to deal with somebody's glove at shortstop, Solano, I guess, Longoria at third, and then Against righties, I guess you would have Belt at first, Flores at second, Crawford uh, at short, then Lestella at third, or then Solano's bat would be missed. I can't figure out a, a possible way to mix and match this. I'm sure they're going to give, you know, rests some guys. You know, you're going to see so many righties or lefties in a row. How is that going to work? Because there's such a surplus of infielders. So here's what I would say to anyone trying to work out the platoon situation, anyone trying to game out the playing time is the giants really in the infield don't view anyone as a seven day a week player. They don't view anyone as not, you know, not just a 162 game everyday player. No one is a seven day a week player. And what that means is they're going to be looking for rest at the most favorable times for players. So whether that is a player coming to them and saying, Hey, you know, Evan Longoria is dealing with plantar fasciitis. He'll deal with it all season. You know, if he comes to the coaching staff and says, I know we're facing good lefty tomorrow, but I need the day off. They'll figure out the way to get him the day off. It'll be putting Brandon Belt in at first base, shifting Flores over to second, and then putting Donovan Solano over at third. They will make that happen. The one guy who I think will play more than five days a week on occasion is Brandon Crawford, just because he is the stabilizing force of the defense. You go back the past nine seasons, he has played at least 88% of the Giants game, just remarkable the kind of durability and consistency he's brought the organization at that position. And so I think that, you know, when you look at it that way, when you look at, you know, Tommy Lestella playing four to five days a week, Donovan Solano, four to five days, uh, Wilmer Flores, three to four days, because you really want him facing lefties, Brandon Belt, 
probably four to five days, Evan Longoria, four to five, and then Brandon Crawford, five to six. You're going to be able to do the math in a way where it all works out. Maybe you don't always have the platoon advantages, but you will have players fresh and rested. Yeah, it makes sense. And Crawford, uh, in a weird way, holds his own again. It's kind of like a reverse splits type thing. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he, he holds his own a little bit against left-handed pitching, uh, as we've seen in the past. Um, and that leads me into this. Belt, Crawford, Posey, all pending free agents with their big contracts. Posey has the option that, I mean, we assume is going to get declined. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some landing spots for them. Um, and I'm going to piss off some people, but it's worth it. Um, I've done this on a different podcast, so people have heard it, but Brandon belt is going to, is after, after 2021, I predict that he's going to go to a place that had the lowest production at first base in the American league. And it's in kind of close to home Houston. Yuli Guriel did not perform for them last year. I could see him going there. Um, I'd be interesting to see how he kind of stacks up against some of the, the left-handed hitting free agent first baseman's like a Logan Morrison. Is he in that range? I don't know where he's at, but Houston for belt. And then Crawford, I could see him going to Colorado. I know he lives in Arizona. Um, replace Trevor story, the all hair double play duo with Brendan Rogers and Brandon Crawford. I could see that happening. Uh, and then Buster Posey is a big question mark. Cause I know I can't see him playing anywhere else some hot takes have taken me to say that he might retire after getting kind of a taste of it this year, but I don't, I don't know where he fits in. You know, maybe Kirk Casale's not brought in back and they roll with Buster Posey backing up Joey Bart. Maybe they still split time and Bart's kind of a late blue. I don't know. So what do you think about those proposals? I know, you know, put, put your analysis cap on, Carrie. Help me out with this. More than anything, I, I like the belt to Houston idea. I think that, you know, him going home to Texas is, is probably a pretty good fit for him. And that's an organization that will have some money to spend. You know, Carlos Correa, uh, his contract is going to be coming off the books and you're going to have Yuli Gurriel a year older. I, I don't know if his contract's expiring, but my assumption is that it is. And so, yeah, you put belts in that ballpark. I don't know that it's the best ballpark for him because there's the deep power alleys when it's really shallow down each of the lines. Uh, and he seems to me like someone who hits the ball to the center of the field more often. But I do think that it is a good fit for him from a just team and location standpoint. Crawford, I can't see at Coors Field. I, I think you really need a speedy, rangy, uh, you know, probably more of a, I mean, obviously Trevor Story is the perfect prototypical shortstop for them, but the Rockies are a mess. So I think you need a speedy rangy defense first guy to play shortstop there in Colorado. And at this point in his career, I, I just think that Crawford's better suited uh, to a slower infield. And, and that's nothing against him. I still think that he can be a top 15 defender at the position in baseball. Uh, maybe not in his age 35 season, but it would not shock me if the Giants brought him back on, on a one-year deal uh, just to platoon, just to, you know, maybe Marco Luciano takes a huge step forward this year and, and, they get him ready for next year where he's going to take over for Brandon Crawford. But Buster Posey, I either think he will be in a Giants uniform, an Atlanta Braves uniform, or no uniform at all uh, in terms of retirement. I, I do think that the most likely scenario is for Buster to return and back up Joey Bart in 2022, and the Giants will bill it as a uh, shared time situation. Joey Bart will be DHing a lot because they'll have the DH in the National League in 2022. I just think that, you know, what he brings to the pitching staff, what he brings from a defense standpoint, so valuable. And they're just not going to let that go if he wants to come back to the Giants, knowing the way that Farhan prioritizes catching depth. I'm sure Kapler has kind of 
talked about this, but what is the the plan for Buster Posey? I know he said no first base, and we didn't really see that in 19 either. Uh, so what is kind of the expectation for him this season? Is it 110 games in the squad? Is it 120, 100? I mean, Kurt Casale is definitely able. I think he fits the mold of a guy that could, you know, because the Giants historically have had pretty good backup catchers behind Buster Posey. Nick Hundley, Stephen Vogt were all guys that could have probably played every day somewhere. Um, so where is Posey, you know, expected? How many games is he expected to catch? We've tried. We've really tried to get that out of Gabe Kapler. And even Buster Posey himself. The, the best answer that, that I've got on this one is he's going to play as much as possible. And what that means, my guess is early in the season, he'll be on 115, 120 game pace. And by the middle of the season, that'll tail off. And, and maybe he ends up only playing you know, 85 or 90 games, depending on what Kirk Casale brings the team. Kirk Casale looks good right now. Kirk Casale looks like someone who could easily be starting elsewhere. I mean, he's had a great spring and has helped the team, but then you've got Joey Bart coming up. And when Joey Bart's ready, you're going to be able to trade Kirk Casale and you're going to be able to bring in another bullpen arm at that time. And so I, I do think that they will figure it out to a point where you're maximizing Posey's, Posey's freshness and defense, but also giving opportunities to the other guys when they need them. And, and Kirk Casale will need them at the beginning of the year. Joey Bart unquestionably will need them at the end of the year. And so my guess is you'll probably end up like 85 to 90 games and the pace will tail off after a while. And you got a nice insurance option with Chadwick Trump waiting in the wings. So if you need a bonafide backup catcher who you don't necessarily need to depend on every day, Chadwick Trump is there. So let's go back to the shortstop discussion here because next year, I mean, everybody's talking about it. The, The amount of shortstops hitting the open market, Simeon, I'll start from the bottom kind of, Didi Gregorius, Simeon, and then you have Story and Seeger and Correa. Everybody knows I'm probably missing one. Everybody knows the names. Uh, Baez in, in, in uh, Chicago. Are, will the Giants be after one of these guys? I'll tell you what I think, and you can kind of assess it. Luciano, you know, it, I think it all depends on what they think of him for, for the long term, if he profiles more as a third baseman, if they think he could handle shortstop, because it always bothers me that that's the number one question. When a guy in the middle of the uh, diamond, you know, gets drafted, it's always asked, can he stick at the position? And Luciano is, you know, in my opinion, I think he probably can. But what's weird about this free agent class is Corey Seager and um, Carlos Correa. Those guys, I think, are heading the third base or, you know, down that route anyways. So, you know, it's a little interesting to project those guys into the future because Corey Seager, we've been saying for a while, he's going to project as a third baseman. He's going to project as a third baseman. Um, and again, oh, Lindor, I forgot him too. Yeah. Um, a lot of these guys are going to re-sign. I mean, uh, Correa's in talks, Lindor's in talks. So that position might not be as deep as we think. So what is in it? Are the Giants going to be after some of these guys? What do you think? I think the top two guys on the Giants radar will be the two NOS guys. And it'll be Corey Seager, who's got the longstanding relationship with Farhan Zaidi, who knows him well, who has seen him up close in LA, knows the injury history, probably has to be comfortable with that. And then Trevor Story, who is just one of the most underrated players in baseball. For Trevor Story to hit the open market, I mean, again, just uh, what are the Colorado Rockies doing other than messing up uh, things for all of their best players and their fan base? But I do think that those are going to be the two most attractive options come time for free agency. And yes, you're absolutely right, Stephen. That's 
a part of the discussion that's so often overlooked that will either of those guys move to third base? I think Corey Seager's probably headed there sooner rather than later. Um, and so maybe you have a situation where Corey Seager signs with the Giants, plays shortstop in 2022. Marco Luciano comes up to the major league level and plays shortstop, you know, halfway through next year. And then you got Corey Seager moving over to third base when Evan Longoria's contract is up the following season. And Luciano takes over as the full-time shortstop. And then you're talking about a middle of the infield and a middle of the order that is, I don't know if it's as dynamic as what the San Diego Padres have in Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado, but it could give them a run for their money if Luciano is everything the Giants think he's going to be. And there is a lot of work that he has left to do in his game. No question in my mind, it'll be a year, a year plus before he's even in the major league discussion. But man, if you put him with a story or a Seager, you're talking about just a one-two combination that is going to be absolutely dynamic. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how those negotiations go in terms of you know, a free agent looking at the organization and seeing the top prospect be a shortstop. So I mm-hmm. think that could that could definitely be a wall that needs to be talked through or something. Um, so real quick, let's get into this before we wrap things up. WCL, you're you're a SI guy. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, prep sports is one of the most insane especially in the wcl it's one of the most insanely competitive leagues in california maybe even in the nation i've played four years of baseball in it i know you've played in it do you still kind of keep up with it do you keep up with going with what's going on around si because i'll give you an example before we got on here i i looked and reared in baseball a lot of my guys i was class of 2020 so a lot of my guys are still there and they're beating south san francisco 15 nothing in the second inning and i'm automatically getting the you know, the chills that I want to play again, getting the itch. So do you kind of still keep up with, with what uh, you guys are doing at SI or I shouldn't say you guys, you're not there anymore, but are you still kind of keeping up with the league? To put it this way, I had a Slack conversation with a coworker today about SI's ranking in both the Mercury News and the San Francisco Chronicle and taking issue with my own staff that I think has got SI ranked way too low. I also had a conversation with my dad, who was a SI football coach uh, this afternoon. We were, you know, walking our dog together in, in the park and we were talking about SI's current running back and comparing him to a running back from like 2009, 2010, and you know, what he brings to the team. So yes, am I locked in? Uh, Absolutely. I would tell you that even as an Arizona State alumnus, uh, and I cheer for Sun Devil football now, uh, the number one team that I root for in the entire world is SI football, without question. I, you know, I'm texting with the coach, Uh, a number of my friends are coaches, Uh, I am always locked in. I'm always keeping up with the score. If the game is on, you know, NFHS, I will pay the $11 to watch it. Uh, I read every recap that's written about the game. I am a diehard uh, high school football fan when it comes to SI, my former program. And uh, this year to age me is the 10 year anniversary of the, uh, the championship game that we played against Sacred Heart Cathedral at then AT&T Park, which is still the only high school football game to ever take place inside the Giants home stadium. So uh, to put it lightly, I am an absolute diehard. Yeah. You're the only one that could, I guess I'm the only one that you could tell something along the lines of it ages me, like it yeah. ages me. Cause that, if you say it ages me to anybody else in the press box, they're going to give you a hard time. Cause they're, they will. They're, yeah. So um, you probably saw that SI just kicked the crap out of Reardon 
in football, 42 to so. nothing sir 42, 42 to nothing <laughs> yeah i don't have a comment on that um yeah we're, we're gonna move on now carrie uh, future's bright steven 56 to nothing at the freshman level yeah uh-huh. <laughs> exactly <laughs> got a lot to look forward to carrie i appreciate your time um thanks for coming on best of luck to you and your can't wait to read all of your articles can't wait to read the next great feature story that you write uh, and one that you deem as your favorite, like the broadcasting <laughs> one. So appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Thank you so much, Stephen. Appreciate it. You guys could follow Kerry on Twitter. Uh, he's on Twitter. I'm going to get his handle up right here in just a second. It's at K O underscore Crowley, C R O W L E Y. And as I mentioned before, sign up for your future in sports writing. I know a lot of people listening, uh, definitely would be interested in that uh and of course you could follow the podcast on twitter and instagram at rizzocast a lot more stuff coming thanks for listening thanks for watching you guys can listen of course on spotify apple Podcasts, youtube whatever it may be enjoy the uh opening week it's going to be a lot of fun can't wait to cover it and uh talk to you soon guys